The scripture reading from this morning comes from Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 26. It can be found on page 1164 of the Black Pew Bible, if you would read along with us. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Jesus, in Christ Jesus, because of my coming to you again. Turn to Philippians chapter 1. That This is our teaching text, the one that Morgan read for us in Philippians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to take the Black Pew Bible. And I know some of you are just listeners. You don't really want to be that involved in what's going on because it's early. Somebody just yawned. And, uh, but I would like for you to take the word, the scriptures out and look at it. I think it'll, it'll help your, your um, understanding of the text this morning. Philippians chapter 1, we're going to be looking at 19 through 26. We are just walking through this letter to the Philippian church written by Paul. Paul started this church on his second missionary journey, revisited that church on his third journey briefly, and now he is in a Roman prison some years later writing to this church. He's been in prison for several years, and he's telling us in chapter 1 how well things are going in Rome. I mean, there's 9,000 guardsmen, the praetorian guards that are guarding him day in and day out, they're hearing the gospel. And it wouldn't surprise us at all for Paul to be joyful about such things. But what's so interesting is Paul is joyful about these things despite the fact that, that personally things aren't going well for him. As I said, he's been in the slammer for a couple of years. He's waiting his trial and he, he has a hunch that maybe he'll be released, but that's no guarantee. I mean, I, I, he, he's the, the Caesar, the emperor, is a, a psychopath, and Paul's really not sure, but he has a hunch he might be released, but, but he's joyful nevertheless. He's joyful because he's a child of the king, a servant of the king. and He is excited about what's going on in Rome, in the church, and how people are hearing the gospel. He has a joy that his circumstances can't touch. Now, some of us are going through difficulties, maybe in marriage, maybe in our finances, maybe health-wise, maybe just in relationships. We are, some of us are going through difficulties, and, and those of us not going through difficulties at this moment, we, we know that one's coming, right, down the road. That's just the ebb and flow of life, isn't it? But we need joy like Paul. We need joy. So what we want to do is we want to learn from the Apostle Paul from uh, this inspired Word of God on how to have joy. Three things that I think we learned from this text, specifically, we should have joy because the sal that salvation is sure. Now, in verse 18, Paul is rejoicing because Christ has been made much of. His fame has 
spreading through the propagation of the gospel that his, that his own difficulties, his imprisonment has been a catalyst for. And not only does he have joy as a result of that, but he says there's still more to come. Look in verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. And what's happened, some people were sharing the gospel and preaching, but they weren't preaching the gospel with true motives, pure motives. Some were and some weren't. But Paul says it doesn't really matter. My goal is that Christ is preached. And, and so because Christ is preached, he rejoices. And then he goes on in the rest of verse 18, yes, and I will rejoice. There's more joy to come. And Paul's such an example for us, isn't he? I mean, can we hear Paul's heart in this text and not be affected? I hope and pray not because your pastor needs more joy in his life. And I think many of us do as well. But he has joy because, verse 19, he has confidence that he will be delivered. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Christ, we'll come back to that in just a moment, this will turn out for my deliverance. And at first glance, when you look at deliverance, you're thinking, as you're thinking about he's in the prison, he's going to be delivered, you're thinking about uh, he's going to be set free from prison. And in fact, if you read down, as, as Morgan read the scriptures for us, verse 25, he says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. You think, well, he's thinking about his deliverance from jail. He's going to be released, released from prison. But that couldn't be the case because verse 20 tells us that Paul would be delivered regardless if he lived or died. Look at verse 20. And it, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So is it talking about being released from prison? I don't believe. Also, this word deliverance that he uses here in verse 19 is most often used by Paul to refer to salvation. Like Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he used this very word, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Same word here is deliverance in verse 19. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so what is Paul talking about here? He's talking about salvation. He's going to be delivered. He's going to be saved. He's going to persevere in his faith that he'll stand before the Lord and be declared not guilty. That's what he's referring to here. Look at verse 20. He believes wholeheartedly that he's, he will not be put to shame, but that Christ will be exalted in his body. He believes that when he, when he comes to trial, that he'll, he'll, the Lord will help him persevere, so he won't be ashamed of Christ or the gospel. Because he's living for what is to come, not the here and now, he knows that he'll not be ashamed. This is fleshed out. Also, if you're taking notes, 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, we see this again. And now little children abide in him so that when he appears, he appears, that's the second coming, right? We may, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Also, Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 5, Paul, he's teaching the Roman believers about suffering and how sanctifying suffering is for the believer and he says more than that we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to what to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who 
has been giving to us. So this word, verse 19, verse 19, the word deliverance there is talking about salvation. He's not going to be put ashamed. No, he's not going to be put ashamed. He's not going to be ashamed of the gospel when he goes on trial, but he's also not going to be ashamed on the day when Christ comes back, on the, during the, the judgment seat of Christ and, and uh, that great uh, white, uh, white throne room judgment. Paul is not going to be ashamed. He's going to be declared not guilty before the Lord. Think about it. He's already taught us in chapter 1, verse 6, that the work that God began, he's going to complete. God will save him. So if you're facing possible execution, what goes through a person's mind? If you're in the slammer and you're not sure if you're going to be released or executed, what goes through your mind? You're thinking about how, Caleb, you're thinking about how you could get released. You're wanting somebody to visit you with it. Though, knife in the cake trick, right? What could happen? You're over and over your mind. You're going, what could happen to get me released? What could happen to throw this trial out? What could happen? You know, what, what, what could take place that I could be set free? Or you might be thinking about the other thing, and that's the execution. What's that going to be like? Is it going to hurt, or is it going to be like quick? A lot of things go on, would go on in my mind. But Paul's one concern is not that he's set free or about his execution or any of that. His concern is that he doesn't make Jesus look bad. He wants to bring honor to Christ, not shame. That's his one thought. That's his primary concern. Look at verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ. When Paul says to me, he's emphatically saying, whatever life may be to you, this is what it is to me. Or we might say it's something like this. As far as I'm concerned, commentator Lightfoot, he, he suggests the apostle is, is saying this, I live only to serve Christ, only to commune with Christ. I have no conception of life apart from Christ. To live is Christ. This is Paul's uh, motto. This is his statement of faith. To live is Christ. What is your life? What is the aim of your life? What is the love of your life? What is the preoccupation of your life? Who is it that you want to please? For Paul, he says, to live is to live out the life of Christ. And Maybe Galatians two verse twenty instructs us best what it means to live in, uh, what it means to live as Christ. He says, Paul writes this. This is early on in his ministry. This is early on in his in his ministry as an apostle. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. What does it mean to to live as Christ? That's it. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And here is Paul. He's, he's, he has this hypothetical situation in his mind. Is Paul going to actually get to choose what happens to him? I mean, that's kind of bizarre, isn't it? You think about a child, some of you children, you got in trouble this week. Do you get to choose? Okay, okay, mom and dad, I'm going to choose my punishment, you know, I'm not going to get to do this or get to do that. No, it's a hypothetical situation. Paul understands he doesn't get to choose. God is sovereign over these things. 
God is sovereign over his life, whether he's going to live or he's going to die. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. He, he understands that. But it's a hypothetical situation he's struggling with in his mind, right? It's a hypothetical battle in his mind. But hypothetically speaking, if Paul had to choose, he doesn't know what he would decide. Would, would he choose to be released and continue doing ministry or would he choose to be executed? Painlessly and quickly, by the way. And be with the Lord. Look at verse 22 and 23. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Like I said, hypothetical situation here. Do I live? Do I die? I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Now, it seemed odd to us having that choice. What would we choose? I just want to live, baby. I just want to live another day. I choose life, right? That's an easy choice for us. But Paul, his passion is Christ. And Paul loves Jesus. And he wants to serve Jesus. And he wants to be faithful to Jesus. And he wants to please Jesus in everything he does. He wants to abide in Christ and experience Jesus' presence. He wants to experience Jesus' presence even more closely than he does at the time he writes this letter. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your what? Life appears, then you also appear with him in glory. Yeah. Paul says, to live is Christ. Christ is my life, and to die is gain. To Paul, Jesus, his, his person, his purposes, his plans are, are preeminent. That's what's most important to me. What's most important to Christ, that is what is most important to me. Is Christ your life, and is Christ my life? To live as Christ. What is it to live? To live is what? To live is success, maybe. To live is money. To live is leisure. To live is success. To live is comfort. In America, we love comfort. When we lived overseas, we called America the land of heat and air because it was always it's always seventy. Right? Doesn't matter. It's always 70 everywhere you go. Or for some of you, it's 67 because you like it cold. What is it? To live is what? To live is making a name for yourself. To live is a relationship, maybe. To live is my kids. To live is my grandkids. Some of you would, might say that. To live is my hobby. To live is what? To live is blank. You fill in the blank. For each of us is different, maybe. Or can you say, can I say like Paul, to live as Christ? Wow, that's raising the bar a bit, isn't it? You might say, well, Paul's an apostle for goodness sake. We're not supposed to live like him. Really? 
As believers, we have the Spirit of Christ living in us and empowering us. And as we obey the Lord, He reveals Himself to us more and more. But even when we're, we're intimate, when we have our, those really good quiet times, Caleb, when you just draw near to the Lord and He's drawing near to you and you just experience the presence of the Lord and He's breaking your heart over sin and you're drawing near to Him and you're wallowing in His grace... Even then, when you have those sweet times, that, this, fail, that this, this really pales in comparison to the, the intimacy and the, the closeness that believers will experience when they breathe their last and step into face-to-face -face intimacy and fellowship with Christ, the glorified Christ. Even those just sweetest times when we're having worship and we're, we're yielded to the Lord, we're confessed up, we're... We're drawing near to the Lord. Even those moments, they just they pale in comparison to what it's going to be like to, to be face-to-face -face with the, the glorified Lord. And Paul, he desires to be with Christ in a, in a sweeter fellowship. And he says death's going to bring that about. So he says to live is Christ, but to die is gain. To die is gain. Gain means better. To live is good. To live is Christ, but to die is better. Wow. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 37, asks this question. And, and the way the catechism, some of you catechize your kids, it asks a question and there's an answer, and, and, and children memorize this. And question 37 says, What benefits do believers receive from Christ at death? And the answer is, The souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory, and their bodies being still united to Christ do rest in their graves till the resurrection. So what happens when we die? 2 Corinthians 5.8. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And most of you know the term, to be absent from the body, be present with the Lord, right? What happens when we believers breathe our last? We're ushered into glory to be with Christ forever and forever and forever and forever. To die is gain. But most of us, we don't think death as we don't think of death as being something of a gain. In fact, we often refer to it this way, and I, I say this myself. Yeah, this this past week we lost sister so and so, or we lost Mr. So and so, right? We see it as Loss. The absence of life is a loss. Most of us, most days, we would think that way. An evangelist was preaching at a church one time, and he asked those who want to go to heaven to raise their hands. You know how evangelists do. You know, raise your hand if you want to go to heaven, that kind of thing. And everyone there raised their hand except one older man, even the very front. And the preacher pointed his finger at him, and he said, Sir, do you mean to tell me you don't want to go to heaven? And the man replied, sure, I want to go, but the way you put the question, I figured you were getting up a busload for tonight. <laughs> so like, I'm not quite ready. But death, what do, how do we view death? We view death as the enemy, right? Because the Bible says so, and, it, and you're right if you would say that. 1 Corinthians 5, 26 says this. It says, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. You know this verse, right? The last enemy to be destroyed is what? Death, yeah. Yeah, he, he's... The death is the enemy, but how can death be gained? Well, we'll read a few verses. Maybe you'll 
see Revelation 21, verse 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear. Familiar verse now, huh? He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That word gain there means profit. It's kind of like if those of you, your money people, bankers, means interest made on money. We come out ahead, right? We come out ahead when we're dead, right? As believers, I think that's true. Revelation 14, 13, another great passage on death. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Isn't that interesting? Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Die in the Lord. Now that part's important, isn't it? Because death's not gain if you're lost. If you're here and you're not a born-again believer, if you've yet to repent and trust Christ and His work on the cross as your own, death is not gain for you. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. In some sense, when we, when we die, we're not really dead, are we? We just leave this world to spend eternity in another, right? And what do we gain? One pastor says we gain a better body, we gain a better home, we gain a better inheritance, and we gain a better fellowship. Alexander McLaren, he describes how death can be a gain. He says, number one, we lose everything we don't need. The world, the flesh, the devil. We lose our trials, our troubles, our tears, and our fears. Number two, he says, we keep everything that matters, our personality, our identity, and our fruit. And number three, we gain what we never had before. Heaven rewards the presence of God fellowship with other believers. You say, well, we have fellowship with God and we have, we have uh, the presence of the Lord and we have fellowship with other believers and that, that's true. But like I said, what we have here, and I love church. I don't know about you. I just love church. I just want to be at church. I want to be around the people at church. Matter of fact, I'm blessed because my parents and my, my sister and brother-in-law, we all, we, and, my, and my grandparents, both sets of my grandparents, we did church here together. That's kind of interesting and, and, and unique. So they're really my literal family, but man, and just so many of you are like family to me. I'm much more closer to you than I am my other family members, physical, biological family. But I have my physical, biological family here, and then I have this, these brothers and sisters, and we just have sweet fellowship, and we just love each other. And we're living life together, aren't we? We talk to each other all the time. We get in each other's business, you know? It's just, yeah, it's family. It's living life together. And the fellowship is really sweet. We just love each other. And that's what it ought to be like. If you're like, well, my church experience isn't really like that. Why not? It should be. That's what it's supposed to be like. But the fellowship that we experience here is nothing compared to the fellowship we'll experience in glory. Where there's going to be no, nothing inhibiting us, right? Nothing distracting us. We're just going to be able to fellowship and just going to be able to give God glory and worship and there are things worse than death, that's for sure. And that's important, isn't it, for us to think about this time as we 
we talk about sickness and you see sickness everywhere and people are dying from COVID and um, it, it's something to think about. What's the Bible say about death? And, you know, some of these things you don't say at a funeral, right? I do a lot of funerals because I'm a pastor, but you don't say some of these things at a funeral because it's not very helpful or comforting. But we need to think rightly about death. Paul saw death as an opportunity for him to be to, to more fully experience the Lord in his presence. And so he can say to, to die is gain. For believers in life, we have Christ, and in death, we have what? Christ, right? We have, as believers, we have joy because our salvation is secure. Whether we live or die, we have joy because we have Christ. And when we prize Christ, more than all things, when we can say to live as Christ, then we have joy. And what happens as we are convicted by the Holy Spirit, as, we're, as we have communion with the Lord, as we draw near to Him and we sense Him drawing near to us, right? When we, the peace that passes all understanding guards our hearts and minds. These are, these are all confirmations that we're saved, right? Evidences that we're born again. These, these, are, these are good things. So yeah, we're alive in Christ and that we're being saved, right? That we're saved, that we're being saved, and that we will be saved, right? And that's a reason to rejoice. Do you have con were you convicted this, this week of sin? Did you experience the fellowship, sweetness of drawing near to the Lord, the peace that passes understanding? Did you experience any of those things? If you experience those things, then that's a good thing. It means you're alive in Christ. And because of that, we should rejoice. Our salvation's secure. We're being saved, and we're, we're going to be saved. Like Paul says, my deliverance is sure. Got here this morning, kind of looking through my notes and reading through this passage. I got to think about Bill and Gloria Gaither, the hymn they wrote, What a Day That Will Be. We're probably going to sing that, hopefully, here in a minute. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see, and I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. To live is Christ, to die is gain. For, for the lost, if you've never re repented and trusted Christ, this life that we're living is, is the best there is for you. But for the believer, it's only going to get better. It's only going to get better. This life is like if you're, gonna, you're going to this five-course meal and you know you're going to have a good steak, this life is just, it's just like the, the, the spinach dip you get as an appetizer, right? The steak's coming. Tiramisu's coming. We rejoice. We rejoice in life because of Christ and we rejoice in death. Not just because of the absence of badness, but because of the presence of goodness. We're going to be with Jesus. Isn't that something? Have joy because our salvation is secure. Second thing we see from our text today, have joy because of God's work through the church. This is interesting. Come back to verse 19. Notice in verse 19 that Paul says the church had a part to play in his, in his deliverance, in his salvation. This is pretty, I get pretty excited about this. In our small group, our mass class this morning, we talked about Ephesians 4, 
Um, we're interdependent upon one another as believers. And if you, you can't say, I really, especially if you're visiting with, we pray all the time. We want people, we want the Lord to bring people to us. We want the Lord to bring lost people to us. We want the Lord to bring saved people to us that he wants to be in our church. And we pray all the time that the Lord would direct steps of people that, that should be a part of our church family. But if you're, I would encourage you, if you're not a part of a church family, to find some, and some of you are here trying to figure that out, find a place you can be interdependent upon other believers. Because that's what Scripture wants you to do. We, we can't mature without that. If you read Ephesians 4, you'll see that. We need to, to be interdependent upon one another and use our gifts so we can mature. But also, we need the prayers of one another to persevere in our faith. And Paul often asked for prayer from the churches he started. 1 Thessalonians 5.25 Brothers, pray for us. 2 Thessalonians 3.1 Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. He's asking, petitioning, pray for us, pray for us, right? Ephesians 6, 18 and 19. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Yeah, there's... We pray, don't we? We pray for one another. And Paul says here, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. How was he delivered? God used, the Spirit of God used the prayers of the church to make that happen. That's kind of mysterious for us. It's just hard to wrap our minds around how our prayers work because God's going to do what God's going to do. He's sovereign, right? It's not like you know some of us is, well, I'll just, not parents, because parents have more sense. Grandparents, when you have a grandchild, for some reason, sometimes your good, your, all your wisdom you had kind of leaves you. Because you see grandparents, they just give their grandchild whatever they want. <laughs> like, that child needs to be, it don't need a popsicle, he needs a spanking, you know. And grandma was like, you better not say that, you know. But grandparents, you, you, you want to spoil and dote on the, the, the little ones, right? It's, it's a... Uh, it's, it's, it's interesting how the church works and how we pray, and we don't understand the mystery of prayer and how God uses. He's going to do what he's going to do. He is sovereign. and It's not like the, the grandchild who, if he begs and pleads enough, he'll get what he wants from grandma or granddaddy. That's not how prayer works. But prayer does, God does use the prayers of his saints to do his work. Mysterious, I don't know. Paul is saying here that the prayers of the church in Philippi have resulted in the Holy Spirit helping him to be saved, helping him to persevere in his faith. Remember, we're, we're saved, but we're being saved, and we will be saved. It's a progression, right? And our salvation is sure, right? We have the Holy Spirit living in us, Ephesians 1.14. We have the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our inheritance. Moises Silva says this, he, a commentator. He says, the point to note here is that even Paul's personal growth, his sanctification does not take place in isolation from the support of the church. It is indeed a sobering thought that our spiritual relationship with God is not purely individualistic, is not a, a purely individualistic concern. We're dependent on the Spirit's power in answer to the intercessory prayers of God's people. So we need each other. We need to pray. I need you to pray for me. 
And I want to pray for you. And God uses that in one another's lives to help us persevere in our faith. But Paul is joyful. And yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through the prayers and the help of the Spirit of Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. He's joyful because he's a part of the church. And the church is, we're all working together, following Christ, persevering our faith. But the prayers of one another is vitally important and a big part of that. So that gives us joy. Thirdly, we have joy because of our ministry. And it's a ministry of, of joy in verse 24 and 20 through 26. So Paul's having this hypothetical debate in his mind, what's better to be executed or to be released from prison and continue doing ministry? He says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. What does he decide? He, he, he decides to, to die is better. There's gain in it, profit in it. I'll be with Jesus, and that's better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. But he needs, to, he needs to be released from prison so he can help the Philippian church. If, he, if he's released, he'll get to visit them again face-to-face, -face, right? He'll be able to do ministry and teach and encourage and empower. And Paul doesn't know here with certainty that he'll be released. So don't when he says this, I'm certain I'll be released. It's not, I'm certain I know it. That God hadn't told him that probably, most likely. Because if you, you turn to 2.17, he speaks of being poured out like a drink offering, which makes it seem like, in fact, he will be put to death. So it's kind of hard to understand what he, did he know he was getting out or did he not? It's kind of hard to know. I, I don't really think it's important. I think that even though he knows it's far better to depart and be with Jesus, he's motivated. The most important part of it, he's motivated by what? By what's best for the church. Think about that. When you make decisions in life, do you make decisions in life based on what's best for the church? What Paul's doing. Verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. He's experiencing joy because his salvation's sure. He's experienced joy because the church is involved in this process, the sanctification, the salvation process of his. But he has joy, right, because of Christ. And he says, I want to experience that joy, but I want to make sure you get to experience that joy in greater fashion. And that will do what? That'll give Paul more joy, right? As he sees the people he's ministered to have more joy, he's going to have more joy. Henry James, he says, the best use of your life is to invest it in something that will outlast it. There's a missionary to Africa, Robert Moffat. He says, we'll have all eternity to celebrate our victories, but only one short hour before sunset to win them. Paul's talking about ministry. Yeah, to die is gain. Be with Christ. Wow. But to live, to live as Christ and to live is to do ministry and live is to serve the church. He says it's going to be better for me to stay. If it was up to him, that's what he'll decide to do. Paul based his decision. We'll kind of get an application here. Based on Paul's decision, again, it's not 
God chooses, not him. But if he had to choose, he'd say, oh, I'm going I'm I'm to stay because it's going to be best for the church. Let me ask you, but just by way of application, is that a habit of yours? You make decisions based on how it affects the church, how it affects your brothers and sisters in Christ. You say, but it's my life, right? I should be able to decide what to do with it. Paul didn't. Paul didn't. It's my money, it's my life, it's my time, it's my, my, my. Paul didn't say that, did he? Paul didn't make decisions that way, and maybe we shouldn't either. Second application. Paul was joyful because of the church and their prayers for him. How's your, how's your prayer life? How's my prayer life? That's a good question, isn't it? Paul has joy because the church has been praying for him, and God used that to help him persevere. And How about us? How are we praying? Do we pray for one another regularly? That's why small groups are real important. I know I talk about that a lot, but if you're not involved in a small group, I want to encourage you to be a part of a small group because this is what happens in a small group. Not only are you able to use your gifts and you mature, but people know what's going on in your life. How do people know how to pray if you're not involved in people's lives where they, you can share that and they can pray and intercede? And That's why small groups are really important. And we love worship. We want you to come to worship. We want you to be able to in small groups so people can, you know, you can hand in hand, arm in arm, live life together, know what's going on with you, so they can pray for you. That's really, really important. So let's be prayerful. Wednesday, we're going to have prayer time from 7 to 8. We're going to have prayer time on Wednesday as a church. Children will be in here. Students will be in the house. We'd love for you to come. We're going to pray and pray for one another and pray for um, our church. Third application. For you to live is what? For me to live is what? We have to fill in the blank. What's, this, what's the most important thing in your life? Is it your children? Is it your marriage? Is it your kids? Is it your work? Is it your hobby? Is it your reputation? To live is what? It's a blank there, William. We've got to put something there, right? Can we say to live is Christ? You say, well, that's the apostle Paul, for goodness sake. He saw the Jesus in a, in, in a vision. He saw Jesus, and he's an apostle, and he just he lives different than we do. That Bible doesn't teach us that. Paul's a good example for us, but we should be able to say to live is Christ. And man, that's, that's a tall order, but that's the goal. Yeah, Christ should be our life. Say, man, that's a little radical. That's a little, is it? Maybe that's not always a bad thing. To live is what? To live is Christ. That should be our goal. If you've yet to trust Christ, of course you can't say that. If you're here and you're separated from the Lord, you can't say to live is Christ. You may think to live is whatever. Well, you can't say to live is Christ, but you can begin to grow in that today if you'll repent. The Bible says you're sinful and you've rebelled against the Lord, and because of that, the wages of sin is death. When you die, you breathe your last. For you, die is not going to be gain. You'll be separated from the Lord for all eternity if you're lost. And the Bible says that he'll pour out his wrath upon you, the wrath that you deserve because of your sin. God is a just God, and no sin goes unpunished. That's the truth. But Jesus, 2,000 years ago, he took on flesh. 
And he walked this earth and he lived a perfect life for us, but then he died a cruel death for us. He died, he was buried, and he was resurrected on the third day so that sinners like you and me could be justified before a righteous, holy God. And if you confess your sin, the, the Bible says he's faithful and just. He'll forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But you have, to, you have to confess your sin. You have to repent and turn from it. And trust Christ's work on the cross as your own. The Bible says he'll set you free and you'll know him and you'll be able to approach him, not in fear, but boldly. If you don't know the Lord, we'll encourage you to repent and, and trust him today. I would love to talk to you about that if you have questions about how to trust the Lord, how to repent, how to know the Lord. Anything else you'd like to talk about, I'd love to discuss that with you. There's a lot of folks here, a lot of believers here that like to talk to you about that. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Worship team, come on up. Let's sing. We're going to leave here on a, a, a note focusing on Death is gain. If you're a believer, death is gain. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.